1: Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here.
0: From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puff. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azov and Stefan
2: Rosner. What's up, everybody? It's episode 30 already of the Backcheck. That is just crazy to believe. Brendan and Stefan here. And we have some big news that's coming out just recently about NBC is officially out of the running for the NHL's TV package. We know ESPN's getting the streaming deal, but... It looks like it's going to be two completely different networks covering hockey next season. So I'll toss it over to you, Stefan. First, how you doing today? But second, that's big breaking news coming out of the league right now.
1: I'm doing good. Uh, I got into a hockey fight yesterday in my. I gym. heard
2: about the little tilly for Stefan Rosner.
1: A little t- Well, this is what happened. A uh, quick story time. So I'm playing goalie, and there's a scramble in front of the net. And the puck is coming through my crease, and the opponent's got a stick in there. So I do what I usually do I grab this stick a little bit. He turns around and just sucker punches me. And the way the game was going, I just snapped, completely snapped, and just used my blocker as a lethal weapon and just beat the credit of the kid to the point where I got a four-minute penalty with four minutes and 30 seconds left on the clock. My team only down by one. Shorthanded, we didn't have enough guys really to play. We only had like five or six guys come down. So I really hurt our team in the long run. I don't think we were going to win. But yeah, Stefan into a little bit of a fight, a a little tussle. He did win the fight. The team lost. But at the end of the day, yeah, it felt good. It felt real good. But to go back on your big news, Bob McKenzie just tweeted out that he believes TNT is going to be the second um, the yep. second station to carry. And they also do the NBA on TNT. So that whole right there, that whole it comes full circle with ESPN and all that. But yeah, TNT, the home of hockey. <laughs> Didn't think we'd be saying that.
2: I think that TNT might actually be pretty good for the nhl because we see what they do like you said with the nba on tnt that show um because it is a show right what they produce there with the pregame and, and all the post-game stuff people actually enjoy watching it so that might be huge if they could put together the perfect crew for nhl games to entice fans to even watch that a little more and if they could schedule it where basketball's on after hockey or vice versa people might just stick around and watch a hockey game and haven't watched it before so it's actually pretty cool Uh, thing for the NHL to get involved in, especially since they're already gone ESPN, which we know is the worldwide leader in sports, if you will. So it's going to be an interesting to, to watch hockey games next year, see what broadcast crews they put together, who's new, who's old, who comes back, and just exciting times to watch some hockey games.
1: Also, you said people might stick around to watch hockey games. If NHL is on TNT during those shows, like the NBA show, NBA and TNT, the countdown, whatever they do, they'll say, all right, check out after this game, check out our live look in. Into the hockey, they're going to, you know, that's a very good thing to get hockey and basketball involved because you have basketball, a huge sport, obviously more popular than hockey. So if they can get basketball fans to watch the hockey games and promote hockey on that channel, that is one way to, to get those two fan groups to come together. I mean, they'll, they'll think of other creative ways as well to incorporate it, maybe having, maybe having a basketball player go to a hockey game and talking about that. You know, we'll see things like that happen for sure, probably throughout the season.
2: Yeah, it definitely will. And it's going to be unique. Uh, hopefully they could change up and spice it up a little bit. You know, it's been kind of bland the last couple of years with NBCSN. There's been no major broadcast changes. Everything just stays the same. So that's never good. You know, you don't want stagnant uh, stagnancy to be on your broadcast, especially for a sport that's trying to grow and compete with the other three major sports in the U.S. So this will be a, a change. It'll be interesting. Hopefully they make a lot of money off this, a lot more than they have been recently so that they can make up for the COVID losses. And the one thing I want to say, as I watched UFC 261 the other night, it was in Las Vegas. Uh, actually, it was in Jacksonville, Florida. Packed crowd. It was a packed crowd. There was not 50% capacity, 25% capacity. It was 100%. And what a difference it made to be have all these fans screaming at the fights. We need full attendance in arenas. I don't care if it's a waiver you have to sign. If people are really that scared of COVID, and you, I respect that a lot, Stay home. You don't have to go. But we need packed crowds. I'm sorry. That might be controversial, but it just makes the sport so much better when you have a packed arena.
1: I mean, I completely agree. We know about in hockey the home ice advantage, and some teams, like the Islanders, have dominated at home regardless of fans, but other teams need that edge boost. Like the Florida Panthers, who have been unreal this season, never sell out their home arena. But you're talking about a playoff series in Florida? that place is going to be sold out to the max. And that's an advantage that Florida's never really had. Like teams like that have never really had. And this is a big year with shortened short in season. Playoffs are going to be tough. Fans, momentum, everything that comes with having people in the stands is crucial to team success. I really do believe that. Players say that, you know, sometimes they tune it out. But other players say, you know, we couldn't have won without the fans' support tonight and the, the motivation. I mean, it's a big deal.
2: Yeah, I mean, you still got to win games. Fans are no fans, right? Yeah. The players, players determine the outcome. But fans just being there gives an extra adrenaline boost, right? I mean, even as kids, if you knew somebody was coming to watch a game that you usually didn't get to watch, you wanted to try even more. You wanted to play more. Now imagine you're in the NHL and there's 2,000 people barely making noise. They still have the white noise coming through the, the jumbotron as opposed to 18,000 people screaming with rally towels. That's just a different feel. And going into the arena, like you said, going into MSG for a playoff game as an opposing team, you know you're going to get chirped. You know it's going to be loud. It's going to be a different atmosphere. It's a different animal. Going to 2,000 people, it's not it's not the same. I mean, I know the Nassau Coliseum basically sits 2,000 people, so there's not a big difference there <laughs> anyway. But for some real arenas, it is different.
1: I mean, without fans, we would never have gotten the Andrew Ferrin slipping off the Canadian fan base. He wouldn't there's have, just so he wouldn't have done it. Yeah, there's so many things. Right. To move on to bigger news. I, I don't should say bigger. Important news. Andrew Shaw, after a 10-year career, seven with Chicago, where he won two Cups, three with Montreal, has decided at the age of 29, he is calling it a career because of yep. concussions. I mean, that's just – when you think of Andrew Shaw and when they won the Cups, you think of an absolute warrior. I know there's a picture of him holding a Stanley Cup with a scar and blood dripping down yep. his I mean, if you – you have to, un- And people understand, obviously, how much it takes to win a cup, but every team that wins a cup has that one energized player, that one that rallies, everyone rallies behind, that always shows, you know, he lays a big hit or makes a big play and just gets them fired up. I mean, that was Andy Shaw for the Blackhawks. They had leaders, don't get me wrong, but he was a fire that was always lit under them when they were going to battle, and it, it sucks to see another career end due to injury.
2: Yeah, it really does. And Chicago's been hit hard with health issues. Like Taves. you have Brent Seabrook, who had to call it a career. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Taves missed his whole year because you know he's been has an illness that they don't know what it is, and he's trying to get better. They say he's going to be back next year. Crawford Shaw just retired. Crawford had concussions. Brian Bickle had that whole entire ALS thing. That's just terrible. I think it was ALS. I'm not sure, but
1: it was. A- um, I think it was MS.
2: It might be MS, uh, one,
1: one of those. Yeah.
2: Well, he had something that was definitely, it's, it's nothing to do with hockey. That's just really scary. And he had that whole game where he scored and that was so awesome to see. Oh, but yeah. you think about the amount of players that they've had that have just had undisclosed injuries or illnesses, some hockey related, some aren't. That's just a bad string of health lock right there. And we wish all of the best because ultimately, like Shaw said in his retirement video, which if you haven't seen, I highly recommend that Blackhawks did a great job producing that with him. But he said, I've never listened to doctors, but I think I'm going to start now because these are people and there's families that are involved. He's only 29 years old, Yeah. so he's got his whole life ahead of him. There's no point in risking further head injury. We've seen what head injuries can do to players, especially in the NFL. Some players wind up taking their own lives because of just things that get screwed up in their head. So for sure, it's the right decision. It's the good one, and I'm sure he'll – still be involved in some way shape or form with the blackhawks organization
1: i mean i i think it just it just makes perfect sense for him to be involved with the blackhawks he's one of those guys that just every year did what he needs to do for his team and it it definitely took a toll on his body he's been he's taken big hits he's been in and out of the lineup because of injuries but my man what a what a player and again it's so unfortunate to see his career end at the age of 29
2: yeah just an absolute warrior Right, I mean, he's one of those players, which is kind of a dying breed, where anything you needed from him to do, he could do. Right, He could slot into that first line if need be because he did have some skill. If he needed to fight somebody, Shaw was the guy. Block shot, Shaw was the guy. Big hit, Shaw was the guy. Just like an energizer bunny, right? Like a Matt Martin is to the Islanders. Uh, That's basically the player he is where it's team first and he'll do anything for the team. So hard to replace. It's a hard void to fill, but hopefully they can. Yeah,
1: another injury, another player competent – thinking contemplating about retiring is David Backus on the Anaheim Ducks. He obviously traded from Boston. He hasn't played that much this year. He spoke to the media and they said, I think the words he used was it's not a probability. It's a possibility. I don't know. He said something weird like that as he was noting, uh, it looked like he might retire. I mean, again, injuries have played a part in his career. It's really turned it around. and, And it was once a really promising career too. He looked to be an unreal unreal nhl talent he's had a good career but again he's he's older he's like 35 or 36 maybe even 37 but you just hate to see these players decide that they have to like look at ryan kessler he had to retire probably before his time's up we have there's so many players around the nhl that have retired because of injury but you know we're seeing it now these are guys we grew up watching you know yep. calling it a career i mean david backus was a star andrew Shaw was winning cuffs I mean, it was just, these are guys that when we were getting really into hockey, these were guys making a name for themselves. And again, it's just, it's tough because, you know, people think of hockey and, you know, we think of football, big hits, careers last three plus years at average. And you just look and it's like, well, I know they did an article the other day about how hockey hits are harder percent wise, harder hits than football. And the players are way less. It's just, it's just crazy. The the toll it takes on a player's body. And then it goes to appreciate players like Patrick Marlowe. Who Paris, Gordie How and Wilson completely like it appreciate them more and how they're able to stay around the hard work. I mean, Yami Jager, I know uh, he's gotta be his, obviously he's he's older, he's not playing in NHL anymore, but he was the first one on the ice to practice. He was the last one off. He skated with weights every morning. He did all these things that these players have to do to stay around the sport. So, you know, it, it makes you appreciate more when you see younger players like an Andrew Show their Try at twenty nine, and then you got players in their forties still going.
2: Yep, it really does. And back is like you said, is thirty six. He, used to, he had 60 points once in St. Louis, 50-point player a couple of times. He was another guy that could play second-line, third-line minutes. He did the dirty things, but he was actually very skilled as well. And the last three or four years, he's just been mauled with injuries, healthy scratches. And At, at this point, at 36, he's not going to get that opportunity again. It might just be wise to call it a career. But there's a lot of passion involved where people don't want to just say, I'm not going to play hockey. Like He still gets to go to the rink every day, and that means something. right? Patrick Marleau even said it during – his ceremony where he was like, this means everything to me getting to come to the ring on a day daily basis because he's not producing at the same way he did when not he was 20s, all. 30s. So the fact that he gets to do it means something. And once you retire, right, it's what's the next in your life. And for some of these athletes, that's a scary thing. So to think about it, maybe Bacchus isn't ready for that next step, but.
1: Yeah, back is said that uh, um, he said every shift he gets yeah. NHL is a gift, and he he never takes it for granted. And I mean, we're not there, we're not watching, but you have to think every time you get on there, it could be the last time you ever do it. So you got to make the most of it. And for players like that, like the, no one wants to retire. Some players are ready, and when, yeah. when you're ready, you know. But when it's like eh, I don't know, if you give it up, you can't go back. Like if right. Back is retire, no one's coming to get him. He might as well you know, okay, maybe I have a year or two left in my deal. I might as well just play it out. But for some players, yeah, they know when the time is right. Corey Crawford knew he didn't, have the, he didn't have the heart and grit to stay in and, and be prepared, and he walked away. And that's, you know, that sucks. But at the same time, you know, it's your team around you to give 110% or don't play. And it's hard to make that decision when you go in your head, well, you know, I'm, I'm 90% there, but I'm not, there's a 10% of me that's not committed, and it makes more sense for me to walk away. It's tough. But there, there's positive news to talk about, Brendan, I guess we'll go to the Rangers first. Some young guy named Alexis Lafreniere is finding it a little bit uh, late in the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's about time, right? They These young kids have been in flashes, right? Kako's been flashes. Lafreniere has been flashes. Edel's been probably the most consistent one, even though sometimes he doesn't score and misses a lot of open nets like yesterday. My goodness, he had a yawning cage and just couldn't finish. But Lafreniere is finally getting that opportunity and he's, ta- he's taking it and running with it. And you could see the skill, right? I mean, when we watched Lafreniere at the World Juniors, he scored his goals. But the biggest thing was his vision. And yesterday he set up zabanejad with a pass that went through about four layers of sticks where he was looking at the net and somehow dished it back towards the blue line. And there's just that level of skill is something that everyone wanted to to see. And, you know, I, I a man that I wrote with at the blue line station, good writer if you don't If you follow the Rangers, you should check him out. Jason Katniss is his name. He mentioned early on in the season that the six games that they would usually get in a preseason is something that they're going to miss. And Lafreniere was somebody who definitely missed it based on him having not played in 10 months, coming into 10 days and getting thrown into NHL action at 19 years old. And you can see now that he's getting his feet under him. The points are coming. He now actually has passed Tim in goals. So it's very interesting to watch his game develop, not only offensively, but defensively as well.
1: I mean, you just watch him and there's just confidence, you know? I mean, yes, he, you know, he's had chances in the past. He's missed glorious opportunities, but now you're seeing a confidence when he plays, he's joking around. I know there was an article about him and Kendra Miller and they're talking about how he, anytime a song comes on the radio that Lafreniere knows, he sings along and Kendra Miller said, it's, it's not good singing at all, but he loves to do it. But that's more of just personality coming through. I, I, I don't know if he was a shy kid coming over, but it's crazy. First off, you're coming to, uh, the biggest league in hockey on one of the biggest stages in Madison square garden. And I mean, that takes a toll mentally. And then when you don't perform well, it takes an even bigger toll. But the fact that he's joking around in the locker room, he's, he's scoring goals, he's making plays, his young Ranger team's looking better. I mean, you got to have the confidence now. that he wasn't a number one pick as a, as a joke. It wasn't like, Oh, okay. He was the best of the worst. Now this this is a talented individual, and now you're seeing the confidence, him driving to the net more, him doing that stuff. That's all about confidence, and he's going to score more goals. And as this Ranger team, the young team, you know, it's with X amount of games left to go in the season, a handful of games, even if the Rangers don't make the playoffs, which, again, is still not out of the realm of possibilities. It's very unlikely, but you, never, you can never say never. This is just building for what could happen next year. If he finds his game now towards the end of the season, there's a chemistry built with, whoever, let's say, wherever line he's on all right, now you know in the offseason, maybe they'll work out together. And then next season comes around, okay, you know that he works well with this player and this player. And you get him set to go for next year. I mean, I know in an article that you wrote, you know, you talked about just how this, this, the lineup and the feel and the, how the, they have the pieces to succeed. It's not a, we know that the Rangers are going to be good for a very long time. The question is, when is that going to happen? When is it going to be? All right, next good season. It's got to be next year, I, you would think. We've talked about it all the time. But Lafreniere is one of those players that could really be a make or break for this Rangers team from being a very good team to being an elite team if he could start playing to the level that we all expect him to. And he's starting to show that now.
2: He definitely is. And, you know, we talked about the inconsistent up ice time, right? Lafreniere yeah. hasn't even seen power play minutes. So it's hard to get points when you're not put out in these offensive situations. So I, I look at it mainly that he was like a minus 14. And then all of a sudden, he started to realize that if he wants to play more, he's got to be more responsible defensively, which I do appreciate from Quinn. He, you want to get these guys going two-way. But at the same time, you draft somebody number one overall, they should have a decent amount of ice time off the, out of the gate. But he's now a minus four. So that's a big jump, and he's improving all around. And, I mean, you look at this team, I think that this offseason from Jeff Gordon is going to be pivotal to where they see themselves. If he sees them as a team that can compete next season – they're going to be busy this offseason. If he sees them as still maybe two years away, maybe they're a little more cautious and conservative than people would like this year, and next year they start to really make that push and see who they keep, who they let go, who they move. But I I look for, with an expansion draft coming up, an NHL draft coming up, and just some time to get back to normalcy because next season's going to start on a normal schedule. You're going to have 82 games. If he feels like they have a good enough squad to get to the postseason, which I believe they do, this offseason will be very – very impactful for new york
1: i mean i don't think it's two three years away if you look at the standings around the nhl the rangers are good enough to be in the playoffs in every division but this one
2: but they're in this one
1: no no true but next year is going to be a different next year you're facing every team so it's it's more of an e- not even i mean the, the problem for the rangers is that the top four teams ahead of them are, are all very good it's the best division in the sport so
2: i think that the nhl has to go back to the eight east eight west yeah. Enough with this division crap because, I mean, you look at how much better the Metro is, right, yeah. than some other teams. The Atlantic has the Panthers, the Bruins, the Tampa Bay Lightning are the three top teams. The fourth team rotates. But if you're good enough to get into the top four and you're not good enough against the top eight when a team like the Rangers could be, I mean, you want the best teams in the postseason. So make it eight again.
1: So why even do East-West? Why don't you take the X amount of teams from, like?
2: Because it, you can't be penalized for you know being in the yeah. west the, the nba talked about that i don't like that idea uh, i was thinking
1: about the, you, the nba because you have teams in the east that are under 500 that go into the playoffs and it's just like you sh- if you're under 500 i'm sorry you should not be in the playoffs it just shouldn't happen right
2: correct, correct but I, there's that's not going to be an issue yeah in the NHL. yeah, yeah. It's i don't think. when's the last
1: time that's ever happened
2: i have no idea i know the last team to be like an eight seed that wasn't really supposed to get into make a run was the kings at the time they went to their first cup yeah but that was it, crazy but even that, that, that's a team that just shows you that that's why you want the, the parity. You want the West and the East because you never yeah. know what's going to happen. But uh, I, one to eight was always so much more fun because you could slot in against a rival right away or in the conference final. Now you can't do that. Now yeah. the Rangers can play the Islanders in the first two rounds, but it's never, ever going to happen in the conference finals unless you get some wild card magic, which is unlikely. So yeah. give us that chance again. The Rangers played the Devils in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2013, and it was just, it was great to watch. But we can't see that now. So go back to one to eight, please.
1: Yeah, no, you make you make good points there. And again, you talk about parody. I mean, the NHL is one of the best leagues in that. You look at baseball; there are so many bad teams. Basketball, so many bad teams. Football. Terrible teams, hockey, and we say I know this year has been different. The really the bad teams have had no chance in heck against the top teams. It just has been the case. But in years past, the worst—I mean, we still seen it this year. It's happened. The worst team in the league can beat the best team in the league any given night. And I know you say, well, in baseball, you know, in a series, it's very hard to sweep. But the worst team, yeah, that happens. But that's also a series. You're playing that team three or four times in a row. You're going to beat them. It's very hard to win all three, But you look at the, this season, is especially that's that's a perfect reason why that's happened this year is because you're playing those teams three or four times in a row when you play them one game and move on. And I think for hockey, it's important, especially with a new network and everything like that, you want to see competitive competitiveness every single night. I don't think you have to worry about that with the NHL ever.
2: No, you're definitely not. And, I mean, we're talking about competitiveness, right? you got the rivalry that's about to reappear in a couple of days between the Rangers and the Islanders. That's going to be ultra competitive now that the Rangers are sniffing that playoff spot again. So this one's at MSG before they play at Nassau Coliseum. The Islanders had a couple of tough games against Washington so far, and they're dropping out of third in the division. So what's your what's your take on that?
1: I mean, I have a stat. And it's going out on Twitter at 1 o'clock today, but I'll just say it now, why not? So the Islanders' record versus teams not in a playoff spot, 24-2 on the year. So they've taken care of business. The record of the teams that are currently in a playoff spot, they're 9-10-3. So they deserve to be third or fourth in this division. It's showing that concerning. it is very concerning. And what's more concerning is that they've outscored the teams out of the playoffs, 80-49. Teams in the playoffs, they've been outscored 64 to 56. So what it tells you is the Islanders beat up on the bad teams, but when they play the very good teams, they struggle. And when you go into the playoffs, you know I'm sorry, you're not playing the bad teams. And towards the end of the season, yeah, could you get by and make it into the playoffs? You play another couple against the Devils, the Sabres, even the Rangers, even though that's a tough game. You play one against Boston, the only team that they've played well against that is currently a playoff team. Against Pittsburgh and Capitals, it's been lackluster, really, this whole entire season, the Capitals. They were without Ovechkin on Saturday. The Islanders still can't win. And the funny thing about that is this season, when the Capitals have played the Islanders without Ovechkin, they've actually fared better. Without Ovechkin in the lineup, the Caps are 3-0 and have outscored the Islanders 15-8. to With Ovechkin in the lineup, they're 2-2 and have been outscored 10-8. to So that's very bizarre. The only thing I, get, really the thing I can think of is that when Ovechkin's in the lineup, those guys that sprung or players like that, aren't that impactful on offense because Ovechkin's line's out there all the time. He's got the puck. And when he's not in the lineup, they have more of a chance to score. But, again, it's the Islanders. I mean, it's one of those teams that they just have not played up to the competition where you could say, well, they've dominated Boston this year. I'm sorry. Boston has not been the same Boston they've been in years past.
2: And when they have been, Boston's
1: 2-0 against them. No, that's not true. They just won the last two. Did they win two? Oh, you're right. They did win two. Yeah, I forgot. It was such a bad series back-to-back They they started playing well, and they
2: they beat the Islanders. And, of course, it was two games that the Rangers needed the Islanders to win, (laughs) and they didn't. So it's very concerning. And we already talked about the road record. We talked about that enough. But the way that they play against these really good teams, especially in a playoff series where you're going to have to beat at least two of them to get to that final four, I just don't know if they have what it takes. And we've seen them – go on runs like last season in the playoffs. We've seen them have the ability to dominate teams in the postseason because now they could game plan, and it's a different system when Trotz is playing the same team four to seven games in a row. But these teams are going to be able to game plan for you too. Pittsburgh's scary. I mean, Washington's scary. Boston right now is scary. So if they're going to have to win four, on, four games and they're going to be the road team in the first two, it's tough.
1: What's more tough is that it's not that they're losing games. If you play a hard 60 minutes and you give it you all you play your player system and those teams beat you, fine. They're the better team. They're, if you deserve to be in third place after working your butt off and doing what you can, that just goes to show the teams ahead of you are better. But that hasn't been the case. It's been a will or commitment to get to the Islanders game. They just don't do it. They don't do it early. They don't do it often. They're lackadaisical. They don't seem like they want it. And if you don't want it now – with eight games remaining or whatever left on everyone's schedule i'm sorry what is gonna make you i know it's the playoffs and players rev up and i know i think it was brock nelson or josh bailey said today on the on their press conference that you know we've got that playoff mindset well i'm sorry you don't if you had a playoff mindset you come out of the gate hard you'd play your game or try to get to your game at least and it's fine and there's gonna be times during a game it's been the second period all year where the Islanders have failed to play their game the other team Dominates, and if you're going to get dominated at times during hockey games by the other team, and it's just happens in every hockey game, momentum swings, whatever it is. But I'm sorry, if you're the Islanders right now, it's unacceptable the way you're playing. It just you just look lackluster out there, and the goaltending has been great. It's been a big reason why they've been in there. When Sorokin struggled Saturday, which again, three of the six goals they scored on him was probably on him. But an Islander scored three goals. You have to say, well, the Islanders scored for him. They didn't. Guess what? The goaltending's been so good. There's some games where you have to overcome bad goaltending and win games because they've won you games the whole entire year. If the Islanders didn't have Varlamov, and Sorokin's been great, but let's say there was no Varlamov there. Islanders are probably reversed with the Rangers right now, and the Islanders are fighting for a playoff spot where the Rangers are sitting peacefully in that in that third or fourth spot in that division. And what's unfortunate is you know, the trade deadline pieces they acquired, Zajac, Palmieri, have done nothing. I, I'm sorry, they haven't. Zajac was a healthy scratch as well, which just goes to show that Okay, where does he fit in this lineup? Palmieri on that third line with uh, Bavillier and Pazio had one really amazing game where it's, okay, we found the line, we found the line. Lackluster Barzal has gone 11 games without a goal.
2: Four goals in his last 24 games, three of which came in
1: one game. But this is the second time in a 56-game season he has gone 11 or more games without a goal. Twice in a 56-game season. I mean, that can't happen. Last season, he won 14 games without a goal, and that was 68 games. Not We're, we're through 48 games right now, and he's got two streaks of 11 or ga- more games without a goal. And I, and I talked on Twitter yesterday about it, about the similarities between him and John Tavares, where it's, it's either they play well and the team has a better chance of winning, or when they, they're they not there, they don't show up, the team loses. And the pro- the, diff- the huge difference is John Tavares wasn't an illegal scorer, but he had a knack for scoring. He knew how to shoot. He had a shot. He had the confidence in his shot, and he would score. Barzal's not shooting. He's hesitating when he has a chance to shoot. And he's got line mates like Komarov, which, again, Komarov's been great defensively. He's in the lineup because he kills penalties and plays a defensive-minded game. And I think focus is more on, all right, I care more about the overall team rather than the, if the top line's not my if the, my first line's not the team the line scoring so be it if my third line second line and fourth line are playing well I'll I'll you know I'll deal with the first line not being that line I'll make the first line that line that that grinds with Komarov that creates and gets the other team tired but the problem is barzo has hesitated but it's not even that he's had his chances by himself I mean against the the Capitals on um, I think it was Thursday so many chances. He had two or three prime scoring chances where he just failed to come through when on other teams, those players, those top number one centers are scoring. They, they just are. And Barzal's not the goal scorer that Tavares is or that many top centers are. And he's not creating, though. If he doesn't score a goal again, get an, a, an assist in a game, fine. But his feet should be moving in the offensive zone. He should be making creative plays. He should be giving his teammates chances. I guess he has and they haven't come through. Eberle's been struggling. But It's just we're not seeing that life from Barzal where a couple years ago when he touched the rink and had the puck on his stick, the spotlight was on him. What creative, crazy thing is he going to do? And on the goals he's scored this year, beautiful, highlight, real goals. But it's not happening often enough. And I'm not saying he has to score those goals. He has to just create, make something magic happen when he crosses the opponent's blue line. He's not doing it. He's consistently not doing that often enough. And it just. It's, it shows the lifelessness in this team when he is not being that guy. And one of the goals that um, the Capitals scored on Saturday, Barzell back-checked very slowly and had a chance to break up the play. He really did, and he didn't. And that just put a magnifying glass on, okay, if you're not going to score, you're not going to create in the offensive zone, and you have the chance to, to skate a little hard, to break a play, that was a crucial goal in that game Saturday that he allowed. It. Again, not his fault. Mayfield allowed a pass on an odd-man rush, which you can never really do. But Barzal was there to make the play and He didn't. And now you're going into, okay, is he a true number one center? Should he be playing center? He's under 50% faceoff-wise. Does it make sense to move him more to a wing? I mean, he's your number one center. If he's not going to score, he's not going to pick up assists. He's, he's
2: under gonna 45%.
1: Play. He's not going to play defense, and he's not going to create. I'm sorry, what is he doing on your top-line center? That's not a top-line center. And for the players saying, like, you know, his contract's going to be tough. He's going to want so much more. He's overpaid. He's overpaid. I'm going to say right now. He's overpaid, and I am again, he's a talent. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't have the pieces to succeed. Again, don't get me wrong. But there, he could be doing so much more than what he's doing right now. If he was winning majority of the face-ups, then it's like, okay, he's at least doing this. Or if he was creating and making the opponent's defensive units tired because he's moving around and they're chasing and he's creating offensive zone time, fine. He's doing that. What is he doing for this hockey club right now? What What is he doing? I get it. Anders Lee really made that line click. He,
2: but knew if he's that dependent on Anders Lee, he's not worth $7 million.
1: But he's not worth – I'm sorry. I love him to death. Why is he going to play X amount of minutes over a line where other guys that do more? Brock Nelson does more when in regards to face-off, with a shoot-first mentality. I know he hesitates as well, but he has a better shot than Barzal. That third line, give them the top minutes. At this doesn't go on Barzal. I'm not trying to solely blame Barzal. Komarov's not a fit on the first line. It's not Komarov's fault. Zajac hasn't been great on the first line at all. You want Palmieri there, excuse me, and I think that many fans thought Palmieri would slot in right alongside Barzal, and everything would be all as well. I'm sorry. That is Palmieri's off wing. And I think Trotz knows that and doesn't want to do that. it seems like maybe he's found a home in that third line with Pajot and Mavillier. But what are we seeing from Barzal that's showing you that he's not a superstar. He's not a superstar yet. Did I think he would take the next step this year? Of course. He got off to a really strong start this season. He was doing very good things. And again, Knock the face all you want. If he was producing in other areas of the game, you could say it's okay. He's not winning the face And quite frankly, Lee was taking the majority of the face-offs when Barzal was out there. You know, you have guys taking face-offs. Zajac was taking face ups, which made him a good fit on that top line because he could take face-offs. You're just not seeing enough from Barzal. And right now is a time where, forget about what happened this year. You know, we, we love stats. Every fan loves to talk stats, whether it's team success, play success. you got eight games left of the regular season. Start winning the majority of your faceoffs face now. Start creating now. You know, make plays now. It doesn't matter. You look back and, well, Peugeot had a great playoff run, but do you remember what he did one before the playoffs? He was, there were oh three 3 and 4 with him in the lineup. He looked terrible. Yep. But if it matters what you do now. If Barzo goes into the playoffs, you know, winning the majority of his face-offs in his last five games, and, you know, he's got a couple of goals, that just, that, that, he, you, don't,
2: huge. you don't pay him $7 million to win face You pay him to score. And right now there's 41 players in this league that have more points than him.
1: There's no reason why he couldn't be a point-per-game player this year. There was no reason. I, I don't even care if Anders Lee's gone. I just It's frustrating because take get rid of every stat. Hustle, determination, grit, ability. He has those things, and we're not seeing it. Like I said, that play on, Sat- on Saturday, we didn't back check hard. I mean, that's just... That's a big play in the playoffs. You're going to need him to backtrack hard. You're going to be playing top-level offensive talents where they're going to get their odd-man rushes. Porcel's got wheels. He won the fastest skater competition. You're telling me he couldn't get back? No. It was a mentality that he didn't care about getting back. If he wanted to get back, he could have on that play and didn't. And it's very frustrating because the Islanders don't have enough right now offensively. They need players like Barzal, their top offensive talent. I don't think he's the most skilled offensive player they have. Again, I think Nelson has a better shot. There's players that have a knack for scoring goals, and Barzal's not a goal scorer, and he's not going to be a goal scorer. But it's all a mental thing with him. He's had opportunities to shoot the puck. It was on the power play Thursday night where he got a pass across for the one-time shot. Easy. Oliver like, Wallstrom is not hesitating there. Top players in the league are not hesitating there to shoot the puck. He didn't shoot it. He held to it and made a passing play, and the other team kills it off. It's just you have to see something from Barzal, and it can't be him being in the penalty box, which was a problem early on. And Trotz, you know Trots knows that he's trying to find players to play alongside. Him. But right now, Barzal, you got Eberly, and you got either Comer or Versacek. That's what you're gonna have. That's what you're gonna have to make work. And I get it. It's frustrating as heck. He needs talent around him, and it's not his fault that there's not an offensive minded guy like a Taylor Hall. On his left wing, who again is not a pure pure goal scorer, but, he's but gonna if Islanders
2: ball. fans think he's that guy and he's that superstar, he shouldn't have to. It shouldn't be dependent on those guys. Art- Artemi Panarin, look what he did with Jesper Faust. and if Islanders fans are going to say Ryan Strom is a credit of him, then look what he did with Ryan Strom. Right, I, you you. If you're a real superstar in this league, you make everyone else better. You don't need other players to make you better. It, exactly. It, just, it doesn't look like he is that guy.
1: For all the hate Tavares got. Matt Molson was great with Tavares. Guess what? Matt Molson was great with Tavares because Tavares put him in a, in a position to succeed. Right. Barzal is by himself. Barzal is not a superstar. That John Tavares was. You know, we talked about how John Tavares never got help. And the Islanders went with him. It's because he, when he was good and we he was scoring goals, they were winning because it was more individual, yes. And that's why the Islanders were better when he left. But now you're seeing, like, you need a guy like that that steps up. No one in this Islander team is stepping up. And, yes, Barzal doesn't wear a seat. And your captain is gone. But the excuse of the linemates goes so far. When he's had the chances, last game, Komarov intercepted a pass, gave him the puck, and all didn't make it count. So we got to stop with the he doesn't have help, it's all on him, it's a mentality thing. He's had chances to come through, and he hasn't. And most Islander players this season, recently, when they've struggled, have had chances to come through, and they haven't. But it's getting to the point where there's no more excuses. You're in this, you're going to make the playoffs, you don't want it to be a first-down exit. And the only way you're going to get past these best, these bigger teams, these better teams, these offensive talent teams, is by players like Barzal stepping up each night. Step up and make plays and score goals. Great. Don't rack up the assists because people on your line aren't scoring. You get two breakaways in a game, you better score on one of them. You're going to have to or this Islanders team is going nowhere.
2: Yeah, uh, you, it's completely correct. Uh, he has to be something and do something that warrants what he gets paid and the – Credibility that he has throughout the league as being this top player, because I'm not just saying this because of an Islanders uh, hater, if you will. I know that somebody's going to come out here and say, "Oh, he's just saying it because he's a Rangers fan." That's not it, right? You could look at me any day of the week. I'll tell you, Barzal better than Ryan Strong. Strong has more points, doesn't mean anything, but Barzal has to produce, has to. And if he wants to get in recognition as being an elite player, he's got to make everyone else better. He just has to. Everly can finish, man, right? Uh, Kamarov, I don't understand why he's on that line. And we've talked about who should be on that line. And I don't care about the meshing and all this stuff. If Barzal gets going, he's the best player in your team, head and shoulders better than everybody else. So your first priority should be putting players on his line that can get him going. Forget your chemistry at your third line. Get Barzal going and then worry about your third line after that. That's my mentality. But uh, they're going to have to figure something out come playoff time because right now they're losing to everyone in front of them. They're losing ground that they need to make up to, to get into those top two to get home ice advantage. It's tough. It's a tough situation right now.
1: And again, if they lose, you're not going to beat these top teams. There's a reason that these are the top teams, and they're ahead of you in the standings. Like, there's a major reason for that. But it's just the will to compete. If you can't get going right now, we're at the end of April. You can't get ready for playoffs that start in less than a month. What is, going to, what is going to make this team get ready when the schedule does end and it's playoff time to start? What's going to get the offense going? I know we saw last year the offense went from, I think, 2.75 goals a game during the regular season or whatever, 2.78 to 3. Great. It was great. It was a huge difference because there was less pressure in the goaltending and the defense was stellar. But now we're seeing defensive miscues happen, and that's stressed because the offense isn't scoring, so the defense thinks they have to get involved. Adam Pellick scored Saturday on the PK. By the way, the Islanders scored three goals on Saturday, all special teams. Two power play goals, one shan- shorthanded, and five on five, they looked atrocious. In the playoffs, you're going to get your power play opportunities, and that's great. But the Islanders this season have not gotten their power play going. They had two last uh, game, which hopefully they build off of, but the likelihood is is probably close to zero. So if your power play is not going to be a weapon for you, which Christian Arnold for NY Hockey Now just wrote an article about how their power play needs to be a weapon in the playoffs. We saw last year, they had chances in the power play, and they didn't come through in the playoffs, and that was huge. And we know how important special teams are in the playoffs. But it's more importantly is your 5-on-5 five five play. It's going to be 5-on-5 five five majority of games. And if your 5-on-5 five five is not going to produce at all, then when you get that power play chance, you have to bury it. It's just that's a make or break to winning or losing. It's going to be the case. So you hope the Islanders' offense finds it. But there's really no signs they're going to because they're going to play the Devils and the Sabres to end the year. And then they're going to play the Bruins. And that last game of the season probably is going to dictate where they finish in the playoffs. It's either going to be third or fourth. It could be first. I'm not knocking it. They have chances against the Devils and the Sabres and the Rangers to get points and move back. It, it could go either or for them. They could end in the bottom, the third and fourth seed, or the second and first seed. It's very possible anything could happen. And we talked about how important it is that they end up in a top two because of, you know, you look at teams around the NHL and just the Islanders are just that deleted home compared to everybody else. And the Penguins are in there as well. But it's just, like, I don't know what Trotz needs to do. This is the team you have. This is it. These are the weapons you have. you got to make it work. They're, you're not adding pieces. Lee's not coming back. I'm sorry, Lee's not coming back. If you want to use the excuse that, well, if they had Lee, well, they don't. They don't have your captain. You don't have Lee. Other teams have dealt with injuries all year long. Okay, and it's an excuse. It goes a long way. It is an excuse for some teams struggling. But the good teams find a way to overcome that and make it count in the playoffs and win games. Are the Islanders going to be one of those teams? You better hope so in their last year at NAS Coliseum because they have the team without Lee. To, to be a good elite team. They have a chance to go to the Cup without Lee. I'll say that right now. They do. The problem is the top players on this team have to play well. It doesn't matter what their stats say. Statistically on paper, the Islanders, every year should have been better than they were. I mean, last year was great. Don't get me wrong. But during the regular season last year, the Islanders were lack, uh, mediocre at best outside of the games Pelic was involved in. It just is the case. They were mediocre, and they made the playoffs, and they won a fantastic run. It was a great story. Great story. That was last year. It means nothing on this year. Every team has injury woes. You look at the the Rangers with Panarin. Panarin doesn't miss the games. They're ahead of the Islanders in the standings. It's, just, it's simple. It's as simple as that. If Panarin is in that lineup and doesn't miss as many games, the Rangers are by far not a non-playoff team. They're in the playoffs. They could be fighting for a top two or top three spot. I don't think they'd be number one, but it would be a case in point that would actually happen. For the Islanders, you're seeing them do the same thing they did last year where they're going to finish the season on the wrong foot or skate, whatever you want to call it, and go into the playoffs and maybe do something amazing. To have big games and big wins against top teams in the division goes a long way for momentum, and momentum is huge because there's no break. Last year the Islanders were lucky they didn't go back into the playoffs, or I don't think it was a fluke, but it, it, they were, a fluke. it would have been a harder battle for them to get things going if they had to go right into a series with the Florida Panthers team that was the complete opposite. Their offense was clicking, and the hiatus probably caused teams like the Florida Panthers, like the Washington Capitals, whose offenses were were going really strong, to take a step no, back. Every team. And the Islanders won because of their defense. They lot def- I don't know if defense is harder to get going, but you, know, you have a defensive system. Offense is a lot harder to come by. And that's why you see the good teams that have good defense win games. The Lightning, their defense was immaculate. Their offense obviously was top-notch, top-level, historically good. But the Islanders focused on their defense, and it worked. And they scored more goals because they had opportunities because their defense was so good. Now you're seeing the offense not do anything off their defensive chances, and the defense is breaking down. And that's a lot of pressure on goaltending. Your goaltender could be Martin Brodeur. If you're not going to play defense in the playoffs and you're going to struggle and take penalties and do all that stuff, you're not going anywhere.
2: I saw a video of Mark Messier scoring a goal on Marty Brodeur in the playoffs, and it was a backhander that never left the ice, and it just went past him. So I don't even know how good Brodeur was.
1: Sorry. That's going to piss people off. Overrated. All right, fine. That, my point was take the best goaltender ever. Put Vasilevsky behind this Islanders team. If they're not going to score goals, he could, he could allow one goal a game. It doesn't matter. You need one or more goals to win a hockey game. And if you're not going to score consistently on the special teams or 5-on-5 five five, or even show signs of life 5-on-5, five five, you're in serious trouble. So with the Islanders' remaining schedule, they have to. Sh- maybe they don't win a lot of the games, the remaining games, but they have to show that. Well, if show, they don't do win you
2: know, a lot of the remaining games, they're going to miss the playoffs.
1: Okay, they're gonna win. they play the Devils, they play the Sabers. I do think they beat the Rangers. I just think they that brings out a different level. No matter what's going on,
2: we'll see. We'll see because now it's home for one game, and the Rangers play the Sabers tomorrow. After that, they go two straight against the Caps, uh, the Islanders two straight against the Caps, two straight against the Bruins, and they're done. So they know if the playoffs, they're going to be playing with energy too. That's going to be it's going to be a close game. But
1: no, no, I, I agree. But-
2: that the Islanders can afford to lose a couple of games here, they can't. The Bruins well, are crawling down their throats. The yes. Rangers keep winning.
1: The Islanders are going to play the Capitals on Tuesday. That's a huge game on the road. They didn't handle anything at home. They didn't get a point. That's to- oh, excuse me. They got a point. They got a point in the shootout. Yep. Um, then they played the Rangers twice. So uh, we'll say we'll call that a split. Let's say they split that, just because that's something that the Rangers and Islanders would do. They split that. Then they play the Sabres for two games. You have played better. That's not a walk in the park by any means. But let's say they beat the Sabres twice. They play the Devils. Devils have been a choice. They beat the Devils twice. So they're they're getting, again, they're getting fortunate at the end of the year right now because they play in their last five games. They play the Sabres twice, the Devils twice. And they play the Bruins who they've beaten up on. I mean, they have, besides the last two games where it was mediocre. So hopefully they gain confidence in the Sabres series and the Devils series, and they finish the season in the playoffs in a top-two spot. Let's say that happens. Great. You're not playing the Sabres and Devils in the playoffs. So you got the points from them great in the regular season. You're happy that you got the points there. But it's a whole new animal, and it's not even close to what they're going to face in the playoffs. And you have to wonder just how much momentum can they get from those games to carry into the playoffs. Because, again, if they end the season struggling mightily against those bad teams, it's not out of the realm. If they're not going to show up against the good teams, you hope they show up against the bad teams. But that's not a guarantee at all. They could play lackluster and split against the Devils, split against the Sabres. Then they, Let's say they beat the, Sabre, uh, the Bruins at the end of the year, and they do make the playoffs. It's just a different mentality when it's points. It's great. You're going to get the points against the bad teams. They have to. They have no choice. But that's not how you want to comp- You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, we went 4-1 in our last five games going to go the playoffs. Yeah, but look who you played. I'd rather you play all right against those teams and say, well, in the last X amount of games when we played the Capitals and the Bruins, we, we dominated. And then, you know, we struggled against the bad teams but we played the good teams well.
2: I, I mean, think not- tomorrow's a must win for them.
1: It is. Every game, we, I mean, we talk about it. Because you don't
2: want to lose your last three against them.
1: You don't want to lose your last three against them. And then you go into a Ranger series where it's not going to be in the walk in the park. And how does that t- – that's going to take a toll on your body. And then you go from a Ranger series, which, again, two-game set, that's grinding, to go play a Sabres team where the Islanders have never – it's not a, out of the realm that they play down to bad teams. This year they haven't. But but it's not that – they're not the same Islanders that they were in the beginning of the year. They've been worse now. So you expect them to – they're not gonna be there you have to hope they're their old self, but it's not a guarantee they're gonna do that. You also have
2: to hope that Olmark is still out. Because <laughs> when when Olmark's been playing since the trade deadline, the Sabres team's actually won games.
1: <laughs> and if they lose one game to this Devils team, that's that's inexcusable. And I again we talked about it. The best team in hockey can beat the worst team. The Devils were after the, the trade deadline, they lost Palmarians. They, they've looked awful. They've been terrible there's they have no goaltending their defenses struggle their offense is so they are a crapshoot right now yep. and are, the honors have to take. that the honors have to take advantage of the games not for the points you're hoping they get the points but if they play the devils and win three two and they don't look great for two periods but they find a way to win i'm sorry that's not a good win that's not a good win to build off of that's uh we got the two points and it wasn't a good effort no they need to dominate the sabers put in five goals put in four goals allow less than two goals again i mean they have to have islander hockey wins to get them up because that gets you ready for the players doesn't matter what team if you can get a lead early against those teams and lock down that's what should be happening and that's what we have to see in these remaining games but like i agree brendan tomorrow against the caps on the road nevertheless will is so crucial given the situation and scenario and the standings for them to get a good, hard fought W. I don't care if they win by a goal or two goals. And they, as long as they play their game early, find their game and play Islanders brand of hockey and win the freaking hockey game goes a long way.
2: It does. Rangers play the Sabres tomorrow night. And then we're two nights away from another clash of the rivalry between the Rangers and Islanders. Wednesday night, we'll have another show. be previewing that. Hopefully we'll get some guests on to talk about that as well. But we have a, big episode coming Wednesday whenever the Rangers and Islanders play each other because I know that we're going to have some hot takes. We're going to be going at each other's throats a little bit and it's going to be fun because whenever these two teams play and there's actually meaningful points on the line, it always brings out the best in both sides and hopefully we'll have a much closer hard-fought game than the last time these two teams met at least from the Rangers' perspective. So, Stefan, Brendan, fun as always and we will be seeing you on Wednesday. Just check back in with us Wednesday on the Backjack.
0: The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Pod.